0: Hey, this is Jay. Before we start the episode, I wanted to share some really exciting news. Calibra was just named a leader in the 2023 Forrester Wave Report for data governance solutions. If you don't know what the Forrester Wave is, it's essentially a guide for us buyers considering options for our software. If you want to get to know Forrester a bit better, go back and check out our recent episodes with Raluca Alexandru and Michelle Getz from Forrester. I love these conversations. We had a total blast and I can't resist making a plug here either. To learn more about the report, go to calibra.com slash data download dash foresterwave dash DG. And we're going to put all of that in the show notes as well so that it's easier for you to navigate to them and check out those reports. All right, back to the show. This is the Data Download, your guide to upping your game when it comes to managing and accessing data in your organization. For Calibra, I'm your host, Jay Miller. those of you that know me out there, and I guess, well, all of you who've heard some of our other episodes, you know, I like asking questions, like a lot of questions. I could be annoying like that. I have the curiosity gene. Anyway, data science is really about asking questions and using data to answer the questions. It's all curiosity. So I called up a friend to help us connect the dots between data and answering questions.
1: Hi, I'm Gretel De Pape, and I am working as a senior data scientist at Calibra for about three years now. I've been in data for more than 20 years, started as a data analyst, then moved into data science, and then about six years ago, I started emerging myself into machine learning. I sometimes call myself just a data addict. I love anything to do with data. That's sort of the world that I love to live in and explore.
0: So at Calibra, what kinds of machine learning projects have you been working on here?
1: So at Calibra, we have worked on several projects. Uh, I think the one that sort of stands out the most is data classification. And that's where we use machine learning to help our customers to classify the fields that they have in their data, so that they can identify potentially PII data, so the uh, personal identifiable information. So when they ingest a particular data source, they might want to know if there's social security numbers in there, if there's email addresses in there, if there's names. But basically, they can add any class they want. So whatever is important to them. Another project that we've worked on is the asset recommender. So because Calibra is all about helping our customers to find their data. So when they have looked at certain data sets, we might want to recommend that they also have a look at other things that are very similar or that their colleagues have looked at. And then we also have currently live a similarity detection algorithm that helps them to find similar assets. Through the descriptions, we do similarity detection and then highlight that they might have duplication potentially so they can keep their environment clean.
0: Ah, that's great. You know what? Why don't we take a quick step back, zoom out a little bit. How would you define data science? How would you define machine learning, AI, right? Artificial intelligence. Give us your view on what those terms are.
1: So I personally, I started as a data analyst, right? So what do data analysts do? they typically try to answer business questions by looking at data and analyzing the data to get to a data-driven answer for those business questions. If you then say, well, what, what's the difference with data science? Well, in data science, we sort of introduce a bit more statistical models. So modeling becomes important in data science. Then really the leap towards machine learning is really small, right? Because machine learning is one way of modeling your data. And so for me, machine learning is really one tool in the data scientist's toolkit. It's, of course, becoming a very important tool. And it's a very interesting tool as well to explore, but there are many ways to solve data problems. It doesn't have to be necessarily through machine learning. Of course, it's fun if it can be done that way.
0: Certainly can be. All right. So if you're using Excel as an analyst and you're writing your own formulas, that would be analyst work. So what about when you have Excel draw lines on a chart to forecast future changes in that data? Is that still data analytics? Is that machine learning? Is that data science?
1: I would say the lines are probably not very clear in between these different uh, domains. They're a little bit blurry, but I would say once you start predicting future behavior based on past behavior, you're sort of into modeling. And I will probably say that's data science, but I wouldn't be too picky about it. You know, I think <laughs> you know, it's just a sort of a made up division that we've made up, right, as humans. So, but it, it's sort of a natural progression of each other, I would say.
0: So let's talk about that progression. You started as an analyst and then grew into data science type roles and and, and projects and things like that. How did you make that leap or was it a leap? Was it just a natural progression? Tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: So I would say the progression from data analysis to data science sort of came natural because as you try to solve different challenges, you keep exploring what kind of techniques are out there. And so gradually you should build up your portfolio of techniques so that you can tackle more and more interesting problems. The progression towards machine learning, I would say, was a bit more of a leap. That did involve quite a bit of additional studying, I would say, from my side. So I did, like many, I, I think many people who want to move into machine learning, I followed a ton of Coursera courses <laughs> and uh, in my free time because I was really interested in learning about it. And I would say to sometimes the frustration of my husband, because I would be very strict on myself, you know, and keep to a schedule. Even if we were on holiday, I would continue my schedule as I had put it forward for myself so I could finish my Coursera courses in time. Yeah. So it, it, that was a personal interest. I just, I was always very fascinated by it. And I sort of really, really invested quite a bit of my personal time and money into learning about machine learning.
0: You were telling me about some toy projects when you were doing your Coursera.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Course? Tell me about that more.
1: You know, if you if you go through these courses, they sort of piecemeal tell you what to do. And that's great because it's good to get sort of this template of these are the steps that you need to do. But I think you don't start learning until you sort of try it out on a completely different problem and then see what happens, right? So, one of the fun little projects that I worked on at one point in time was related to NLP, so natural language processing. And I had learned about word embeddings and how they work. Like, you basically translate natural language into embeddings that have been trained based on a, a huge corpus of data. And then this is based on sort of the idea that you can learn a word or you can understand a word by the surrounding words, right? And so there's this school example that always comes up in presentations when, it, when people talk about NLP and, and language models. And that is when you take the word embedding for King and you say, well, minus men from that, the answer is Queen. So in other words, somewhere in these embeddings, it has learned that King and Queen are sort of equivalents of each other, but just a different gender. And so one of the things I thought I will try out was I was a bit into Deep Space Nine at the time, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So I had already downloaded all the scripts, the, the screenplay scripts on my on my PC. Yeah, yeah, you could actually just easily find them online. So I thought, right, let's just train the model on all deep space nine scripts and see what happens. And yeah, lo and behold, when you actually do that same kind of example in Deep Space Nine terminology, and you ask, yeah, give me Cisco minus man. Well, you get Kira. If there are some Deep Space Nine people listening, they will probably understand what that means.
0: I was an original Star Trek fan, so trouble with shrivels. So...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know what Cisco is or Kira, uh, but uh, oh that's really cool. So
1: Cisco, Cisco is the commander of the space station, of Deep Space Nine, the, the station. And then Kira is his counterpart, really. And she also takes over command of the station uh, when, when Cisco is not uh, available.
0: Awesome. Okay. So you, you walked us through a little bit of, uh, let's say, explaining what data science and machine learning are and the types of uses for it, and your coursework, right? As you were learning how, as you were learning the craft with Deep Space Nine natural language processing and, and all of that, <laughs> let's dig in a little bit deeper, right? What drives that interest in, in data science for you?
1: That's a a very tough question to answer and I've been asked this question before and I still don't have a good answer for it. It's just something <laughs> that I enjoy doing. It's like data analysis is almost like a hobby for me. I find it very interesting to detect patterns. I like patterns. So in general in in life as well, I like patterns and I think that just suits me very well, you know? It's it's something that I can lose myself in a project. When it's a data analysis project, I can uh, data science project, machine learning project, doesn't matter. I sort of can lose myself in the data. I always find it very interesting to see all the stuff that you can learn from the data.
0: Yeah, and you said it before you began your career doing, let's just say data analytics, and you started to get into data science and machine learning techniques, modeling, because you had more interesting problems to solve. Right, so it's sort of like a tool, a way for you to solve. So it's the problems that are interesting to you, in a way, maybe more more so than the technique at solving the problem. Is that a way to think about it? <laughs> is it the
1: problem, or is it the technique?
0: Which of those is cooler?
1: I may have to say technique. Actually, I don't really care all that much what the problem is. So I do, <laughs> I do. But uh, it's the challenge of of uh, the, of, the of finding right? of finding the solution. And most problems are interesting, I would say. I like the creative part as well very much. So currently I'm also focusing a lot on the discovery side of projects. So I like to try out new things. And I I think that's the thing that drives me the most is usually when I start with a project, there's not much information yet. It's sort of, oh, we may want to do something in this area but we don't really know yet what it is. And so the whole exploration phase of trying to identify what it is that we could do, what techniques we could use and compare them. It's a creative process, I feel.
0: creative, trial and error. You're getting closer, solving the problem. So the, the challenge of discovery, right? Sounds like that's a big part of it for you. So let's talk about the outcomes from solving some of these problems. How do you see machine learning giving you know value to people out there in the world? It doesn't even have to be focused on our product or anything like that. Like Just in general, what are some ways that you see these disciplines giving value to consumers or to, let's say, citizens in general?
1: There's a bit of a hype around machine learning, artificial intelligence. So I don't subscribe to the hype that surrounds it. Machine learning AI is not sentient. We're, we're not there, and luckily, maybe yeah, luckily we're not there. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be there either. It's statistics. <laughs> that being said, we already use it so often, right, in our daily life. We might not always be aware of it, but we're already experiencing a lot of benefits. So I don't think you need to have the hype have something good. Actually, it's maybe better not to have the hype than you see the real value. So some of the things that I'm personally very impressed with and that I can sort of vouch for that helps me in my daily life is things like Google Translate, right? I know that Google Translate is not perfect. It does not currently replace professional translators, for sure not. But In your day-to-day life, it's very useful, right, to have this sort of thing online, readily available all the time in which you can translate stuff. And it's good enough so people can understand you. And we actually used it quite a lot recently. So my husband and I, we lived abroad for 14 years and then we moved back to Belgium. I'm originally from Belgium and he's not. So in Belgium, there are three official languages. Okay, two main official languages. So most people know French and Dutch, right? Are two official languages. It's actually also German. So I hadn't spoken those for 14 years. My husband has never spoken those in his entire life, right? So he's learning a (laughs) bit. He's learning a bit. So we moved to Belgium. And decided to immediately start building a house. Like, let's just build a house. And then you have to deal with Wait, with your own hammers? Or? No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> well, we did a few things, but luckily not too much because <laughs> 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 that's uh, that's not our area of expertise, I would say. We had other people build a house, yeah.
0: I would definitely lose limbs myself if I uh, if that was mine.
1: Yeah, I admire it though. I admire people who can you right. know build something with their own two hands. I find it very fascinating. But
0: All right, machine learning building house, huh?
1: Yeah, how does machine learning help <laughs> building? House? Wait, wait, wait.
0: Get, get me there. Get me there. Yeah. How are we do?
1: <laughs> it did it did help. Wow. Um so Well, so the language problem, right? So we didn't have a general contractor. So my husband took on the role of general contractor and he doesn't speak any of the languages that people speak here. So quite a challenge, but we were we managed actually with Google Translate. I swear to you, with Google Translate, he would always put the original message, like the English message, and then with Google Translate, the translation in French, if it was a French contractor, in Dutch, if it was a Dutch contractor. And it worked. I mean, we we were able to communicate that way. So you couldn't have imagined that, right, 10 years ago, that something like that would be possible. And so this is like a real life example where I think for us, this really, really made a difference. It was probably the tool we used most often during the whole construction process is, is Google Translate. Yeah.
0: That's super practical. You got a house built. Hopefully the dimensions are good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, if the storm comes over, we will see how good the Google Translate oh, was. Oh, there we go. Right, right, right. <laughs> if right. the house still stands. <laughs>
0: So there's a perfectly practical example of how machine learning, artificial intelligence is helping the world. Helped you build your house as a general contractor with all the workers. Let's dispel some myths then. You talked a little bit about hype and that you prefer kind of not to buy into the hype of machine learning, right, or data science. There are no sentient machines out there, you know, running the world, thankfully. So what is misunderstood about this discipline? What are some of these myths?
1: Well, I think it has a little bit to do with, obviously, the terminology that is used, right? So when we talk about artificial intelligence, I think the emphasis is on artificial, not on intelligence, right? So, But depending on how it's marketed, it can sort of give the impression a little bit that there is real intelligence involved. The artificial is very important in that phrase, right? And let's be honest, I think it's also a bit clickbait, right? I mean, it's everything that's to do with that kind of hyping this whole area. I think it creates a lot of clickbait online. You know, people just love to read these kind of stories. I also like to read these stories, to be honest. Right, right, but, right. Uh, and
0: how many movies are uh, glamorizing yes, that,
1: Yes, right? and, and maybe a bit uh, the movie culture as well. Maybe it's wishful thinking to a certain degree, although we're scared of it if it would happen, but uh, maybe <laughs> uh-huh. there's some wishful thinking involved. If we think about the term machine learning, very often what is said is that the machine learns on its own. Right? It learns without being explicitly programmed. And that's true-ish, right? It's true-ish. The thing is that if we train uh, data classification, for example, if we train that algorithm, it's true that we don't tell it what it should learn in order to classify data. But we do tell it that it has to classify data, right? So if one morning my data classification algorithm wakes up and says, I have a burnout, I want to be an image recognition tool instead, and it does it on its own, <laughs> then then, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> then we have something to worry about, I think. But
0: There's the intelligence part.
1: <laughs> yeah. Although there are some uh, research uh, teams that are working on Machine learning for machine learning. So you can have a machine learning algorithm that would learn what machine algorithm is the best for what problem. But again, that algorithm can only do that, right? If you train a language model, it is a language model, it's nothing else. It cannot do anything else than that.
0: So there's two things I'm hearing you say, right? One is the intelligence part of artificial intelligence is emerging, but not necessarily there yet, you, the data scientists are still telling algorithms what to do. And part of that is feeding it the data that it uses to do its statistical analysis, right? And its predictions. So there's another component here, and that is not only is the machine not necessarily fully intelligent, it's also based on the data that you give it. So if you give it one-sided data, as opposed to diverse data that might also pose problems. Tell us a little bit about that, data biasing, if that's the right term.
1: If you have a bias in your data, you will have a bias in your model. So your model is indeed only as good as the data that you train it on. And we've all heard about certain projects suffering from that bias, obviously, because of the limited data and very one-sided data that they were trained on. There was also the example, I think, of a Twitter chatbot, which very (laughs) rapidly started saying things that weren't uh, (laughs) politically correct. not, Uh, Not good. Uh, not good, or, or was the rude, or, uh, you know, yeah, the data you train something on is indeed very, very important. And I would say that is actually mostly where the value is in many ways. So if we think about all the big players, Google, Facebook, they often open source the models, right? So they open source the models, they open source the architectures, they open source the Python packages that you can use for uh, building those models. So all of that is just out there in public for everyone to use, right? It's open sourced, but what is not is the data. Right. So
0: right. Exactly. The
1: data is really that is the tough part actually. How do you get your hands on good data, which covers all grounds that you need to cover? So it's not biased in any way. So
0: So data quality, right, and data privacy concerns. You mentioned earlier some of the things that you've been working on here at Calibra as far as classifying different types of data within your data sets, et cetera, to help you with these kinds of projects. So sounds to me like that's a decent example of how to protect against data bias, yeah?
1: Yes. I mean I think it will always remain something to be very vigilant about. So I think in the end, just like we have to build in security right from the start, you know, so security by design, privacy by design, ensuring your data is not biased by design. I think these are all things that we will have to be constantly vigilant about right from the get-go when we start a project.
0: There were two things that I heard you say before. The other thing that I'm hearing you say is algorithms to choose algorithms. Is that what I would think of as AutoML? Is that that space where you've got tools that might help you accelerate what algorithms you're choosing for your model? Is that is that a way for me to think about that?
1: I think that's a fair statement. We will probably see more and more things like that emerge where you sort of have plug and play ML, right? I have to say in the data science work, we sometimes get a little bit sort of nervous about AutoML, (laughs) (laughs) not because we would lose our job, but but because um, currently there are still quite a lot of choices that you need to make when you train a model, right? There's a lot of hyperparameters that need to be set. There's a lot of choices to be made on what kind of loss function you need to use for the particular problem at hand, what kind of accuracy metrics are appropriate for the problem at hand. And so there are still a lot of these sort of choices that need to be made based on knowledge of the domain, knowledge of the techniques, of, of the technical part, and maybe also it's a, you build up a bit of intuition as you do more and more of these problems. And so auto and mal will probably work very well for certain standard problems that where we already know what all these hyperparameters should be. Like it's for computer vision is sort of the furthest ahead, right? So that's where the first breakthroughs really were made in computer vision.
0: So tell me more about that.
1: Computer vision is where really the first breakthroughs were made, where a certain Algorithms were able to do detection of things in pictures that could match human accuracy, or that even in some cases could be better than human accuracy, because in the end, a computer can see pixels better than we can.
0: You're talking about facial recognition.
1: Facial recognition, or just in general, cameras then link to a machine learning algorithm that will help maybe in manufacturing to detect defects and things like that. So there are many mundane, but very useful applications. Computer vision is where you had the sort of first breakthrough. I think NLP is now sort of the area where people try to get that same breakthrough. Um, Of course, human language is a lot more messy than a picture, right? A pic- uh, in the yes, end, and,
0: and you're all listening to me. You're all <laughs> listening to me in my messy language, that's for sure. <laughs> There's well, no model that's going to that's, that's spit out this speech.
1: <laughs> we're, we're all we're all the same, right? I mean, we 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 use li- and languages. It's it's um, a living thing as well, right? So you you language doesn't stay the same. You you also have dialects. You have slang. You have even in in our. IT world, we have our own language to a certain degree, right? So I would say there's still a lot of exciting things to work on in LLP because natural language is quite a challenging kind of environment.
0: So I'm going to ask you to predict the future for us. Where is data science going in five years? Machine learning? Artificial intelligence? Are these movies going to come true? Tell us your prediction for the future and we'll we'll check back in a few years.
1: But in five years, the movies are not going to come true, no. No, okay, good. (laughs) I think, I think, you know, I could be wrong, I could be wrong. I'm I'm always a bit on the skeptical side. But I will tell you what, for me, is the exciting sort of things that I'm looking for in the next five years. The thing that I am currently exploring a lot, so it's a sort of a new little obsession, (laughs) I would almost call it, is how do you combine machine learning, which it's a little greedy beast. It needs a lot of food, right? It needs lots of data. It's, it's, it's very uh-huh. data hungry, a little hungry, <laughs> a little thing. But, and how do you marry that? How do you combine that with also the increasing emphasis on privacy, right? And I'm one of these people, obviously, of course, as well. I want my data to be protected. I want my privacy to be protected. How do you combine these two? And so there are some very interesting new fields that is emerging, which is a privacy preserving machine learning. So maybe some listeners have already heard about differential privacy. It's a field that studies on how do you answer a query based on data while mathematically guaranteeing that not any single data point contributed in such a manner to your answer that you could reverse engineer that data point from the answer. It's an emerging subfield, which I'm personally very interested in, because if you can do machine learning federated across different customers, across different individuals, but you can guarantee mathematically that their privacy is guaranteed, then you sort of solve the issue, right, of machine learning needing a lot of data, but at the same time ensuring that No one's individual data can be reverse-engineered from the machine learning algorithm.
0: Patterns, numbers, patterns, numbers. You know, the conductor of the orchestra I'm in is obsessed with numbers and patterns. He's always counting the beat in all sorts of different subdivisions, just for fun, while driving, while walking. Maybe he's a data scientist at heart. Or maybe data scientists are also conductors. Hmm, I gotta think about that. Why am I blathering on about this? Well, there are a few things that stood out for me regarding data science. First, it's those patterns. What's often really interesting about data is finding common things, patterns, clusters of like information. Those patterns help to answer questions, make decisions, make predictions, and even recommendations. Now, machine learning approaches to solving problems need a lot of information, As Gretel said, ML is a hungry beast for data. This is no small task, of course. It takes a lot to gather data, to store data, and to cleanse that data. Second, the idea of a curious mind. Desire to solve interesting problems in life or in business is just a natural path to getting into data science. First, just seeing patterns in data, right? And then doing some analytics to help with a challenging problem, you know, all winds up leading you to ever more sophisticated ways to tackle that problem. Gretel's journey is really inspiring and encouraging to think about. Machine learning then really just becomes a tool, right? A method for solving difficult problems. Third, there are so many helpful and fun use cases where artificial intelligence comes into play. For example, I loved the discussion we had about Google Translate helping to organize all of the construction teams building their house, all of whom spoke a different language. Good thing we didn't have a mistake in translating inches versus feet though, right? Uh, We might've had a Spinal Tap Stonehenge situation on our hands. Another example, of course, is computer vision, where machine learning enables facial recognition for things like unlocking our phones and tablets, right? Of course, like many fields, data science has evolved over quite some time, and experts in the area have achieved some amazing things. It's continually changing and improving. It's really only up to our imagination to see where it goes. For Calibra, this is The Data Download. I'm your host, Jay Miller, and I'll see you next time. even more insight into managing your data, visit Calibra.com slash podcast for additional resources on the topics covered in our show. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a new episode. And a five-star review certainly doesn't hurt our chances with the algorithm. It's all about the algorithm, isn't it, folks? It's a great way to help us reach new listeners, and we truly do appreciate your support. The Data Download is a production of Calibra in collaboration with Stories Bureau.